0: Anyway, today's been a fantastic day for us, and man, a great weekend. We we had a, a super weekend here at uh, Table of Friends, and we're, we're kind of doing something new. I'll just run it by some of uh, you that are pastoral leaders, uh, taking very seriously the admonition to make disciples. and. And mindful that, you know, the in the church routine, the church world, you, you have to come up with a fresh revelation every Sunday, right? You've got to pique people's interest every Sunday. And it used to be every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And that was quite a burden. What we're actually trying to do is slow that down and say, what if we just introduced a concept or a theme one Sunday, came back the next Sunday, and uh, actually made application to the theme how do we work this out how does this apply to our lives Uh, and then do a lot of interaction in group which we did yesterday it was phenomenal we used uh, ethan's message on building a history with god and how to avoid running from one thing to another just addicted to new uh, encounters rather than letting the seeds and the roots go deep so so i got this new idea i think I don't know, maybe maybe you said it, Ethan, but uh, uh, river rooting. I don't want to just be dependent on the on the rains that come on occasion. I want my roots to go deep down to the riverbed where I'm actually drawing water from the rivers all the time. And so um, that's neat. And then we did the uh, application next Sunday is going to be primarily testimonies of how people have applied those truths over the last two weeks. So first week, introducing a truth. The next week, making application to the truth as many ways as possible and getting people to tell their stories. The third week then to actually let people tell their stories and spend a lot of time hearing the testimonies of what's been done. Yesterday we had some phenomenal testimonies, as we always do. Anything you want to say? Say hi to everybody. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> what about yesterday that you like?
1: No, it's, yeah, so one of the thoughts that, that you shared yesterday about that was this idea that transformation doesn't happen because we hear something revelatory. Transformation happens when we obey, when we put it into practice. And if you go back to even the, the Hebraic understanding of hearing, hearing is hearing and doing, hearing and obeying. And how many times do we go from message to message to message and we're just, padding our notebooks with great revelations, but we never put them into practice. So we're trying to slow down and
0: mm. yep.
1: be transformed yep. in the doing of whatever the Lord is saying.
0: It's not what's new that sets you free. It's what's true that sets you free. And as Ethan says it fresh. Uh, fresh is better than new. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Holy Spirit can can blow on it. Good to see Julie. Julie, bless you up in uh, D.C., Maryland area. Nice and then and uh, Jason America. Andres from Bogota, Colombia. We're going to be with them in a few weeks. Uh, excited about that. So we've got a great uh, a great representation from uh, across the country, around the world. So good to have you. And we want you to uh, consider. Uh, thinking about what we're going to present here the next ten minutes or so, and then give us some input. A couple of ground rules for this one because we're going to be talking about orphan leadership. Um, you know, I've been I've been thinking about this and writing on it some for the last two or three years, but I can't figure out what to call it. So if you come up with a, a book title, let me know because I know orphan leadership won't sell. Can you imagine buying a book for your pastor called The Orphan Leader and sending it to him for Christmas? <laughs> Ah, that's how the fight started. So, uh, you know, you stir that thing up. So, you know, I do see very clearly that so much of our leadership, not just in the church world, but in the business world and in the political world, so much of it's driven by this orphan force this orphan drive to prove that we can to prove that we are somebody to prove that we deserve to do it to, to prove our parents wrong that said we would never do it to bro- to prove our fifth grade teacher wrong that said we were an knucklehead so many things that drive us to what looks like success uh not just in the church world but especially since we will be talking with a lot of pastors here and talking about Church leaders. The, the one ground rule that I want to kind of set for our, our dialogue tonight is that we don't use names. Even if you have an orphan leader that has marked your life in a bad way, had very bad experiences, you may talk about that experience if you feel like you need to, but we won't talk about the names. Is that agreed? Everybody can just shake your head. Yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, we, that would be pretty orphan of us to, to, <laughs> to uncover other people. So that's going to be one of the things we want to talk. Here's another great thing that happened to me today is just, I got to send in the the final, the final, final on a fourth meditation book. Not trying to promote it and just saying I'm excited about it. And this one is called Renewing Your Mind in the Father's Love. It really is kind of the heart of the beginning of everything. And it comes out of that one year of uh, the Father just putting me on assignment and saying, I want you to ask me this year to teach to teach you how to receive my love. So for a year, I just kept asking him, teach me how to receive your love. And it it came down to some very simple things, to see everything that comes to me as a personal gift from the Father, that he's loving me in a daily, daily, personal way. Uh, And hopefully this meditation captures it. It's probably half teaching, writing, narrative, and half meditation work, but uh, renewing the mind in the Father's love is going to print, so we're excited about that. Praise the Lord. Let me just give you a few thoughts, and I won't go through all of these. I will give you 15 concepts, and I want to ask you if you would just jot down one or two of them that stand out to you that you might have something to to say about or a question to ask about. And uh, I just want to prime the pump. I don't want to teach on it right now just want to prime the pump and then if you have something you want to say about it or a question you want to ask about it then then i want you to jot that down and be ready to jump in so we can make this hour as uh, effective as possible and um, i might ought to say too that especially if you're in leadership or you've got experience in leadership in the church or business or whatever then jump in on the conversation if you're not quite yet in leadership maybe you're studying and preparing for leadership then uh, hold off until we get into some into some questions toward the end. That would be fantastic. So let me just, let me just yeah,
1: something it. that you said very very Thanks. quickly here. So we're talking about leadership not just within the church, mm-hmm. although we primarily make application to the church because that's our field.
0: That's my background. But, but
1: we really want to think about leadership on a broader scope. So leadership in business, leadership in the home leadership in in the educational field, leadership across the board. So be thinking about how this gets applied, not just within the church, but across the board, okay?
0: And understand, I understand, I'm thinking about this this afternoon as I'm praying about our time together, that this is going to mean more to those of you that have been through the triads, been through the ABBA factor in particular, because the ABBA factor, we really break down the progression of the orphan heart and the progression of the sonship spirit or mindset and uh, if you haven't been through those you might say well where are you coming up with these but once you've been through it and you begin to see how the orphan mindset works in a person and the way it pulls triggers and drives people to do things then then these things really become pretty common sense so i'll just i'm going to go through it pretty quickly number 1 following 15 traits or tendencies of an orphan mindset leader when we talk about orphan spirit we're really talking about a mindset it's both heart and mind it's the seal on your forehead either you're sealed with a 666 or you're sealed with the, the name of the father and the son uh, revelation talks about and that's a new idea for me that I've just come to in the last few months in in study number 1 orphan leaders tend to be hypersensitive and easily offended hypersensitive and easily offended if you're driven into leadership I mean, you know, some are called into leadership, and some are compelled or compulsed into leadership. Some are driven. And if you've read uh, The Abba Factor, then you know we'll we quote from Doug Weed's book where he studied all of the U.S. presidents and their backgrounds, their relationships with their fathers, and most, if not almost all, he would say – of the presidents of the United States in some way had a bad relationship with their fathers. The, the That bad relationship drove them to prove that they could, and of course, they became success out of the drivenness, at least by uh, the world's measure of success. So they, they can be hypersensitive, easily offended. Secondly, they don't know how to be a spiritual parent. Now, I'm using they. I could be using I or we on many of these occasions, you understand. Uh, I still have these things that are being worked out in me as well. Secondly, they don't know how to be a spiritual parent. If it's all about you and you're trying to get someplace, if you're trying to ascend to a certain seat of power or prestige, um then then guess what you're not really so concerned about what everybody else is doing you're trying to get there and maybe even stepping on people on the way we understand how we talk about that in in terms of the world but when you begin to see what's driving that then you begin to realize you begin to see oh this is a spiritual thing i want to go back and say there's two primary lenses you can look at to kind of get these ideas to pop up number one which i go back to all the time and I think it's a, a paradigm story for us in terms of orphan versus sonship, and that's when Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Father's voice comes, open heaven speaks, this is my beloved son, it's resonating in his heart, the Holy Spirit drives him, he's ready to get on with it, it's that impatient spirit, if you will, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness where he begins to encounter the enemy, and what are the three temptations? Well, we call them, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, Uh, I call them. This is part of the orphan understanding of that self-preservation, self-provision, self-promotion. Okay, so when you see that the enemy is going to use these triggers, because they're all connected to root needs, God-given needs in us, to eat, you know, to to have a sense of responsibility. So the enemy always uses a God-given drive and then distorts it. And tries to get you to fill that need some way other than through the Father's love. And so if you look closely at how Jesus overcame those three fundamental temptations, then you'll have insights into everything else. The other lens that I would encourage you to look at is Romans 8, 14, 15, 16, and that simply says the the orphan doesn't know if he has a father the orphan doesn't know if he has a home the orphan doesn't know if he has an inheritance the son who has a spirit of sonship a spirit of with a spirit of adoption knows that he has a father lives in the father's love knows that he has a home he, he belongs. He's not trying to get somewhere. He's already there, and he knows he has an inheritance, so he doesn't have to, have to grasp for things, possessions, passion, positions, power. So if you look through those two lenses of threes, home, father, inheritance, self-preservation, self-promotion, self-protection, you're going to see all of these things pop out uh, in the life of, of orphans and especially orphan okay. leaders. Anything you want to say, jump in there. So secondly is they don't know how to be a spiritual parent. They probably haven't been parented themselves. Many of us weren't. Uh, many of us were, and we still try to figure it out on our own right. Thirdly, they're always in competition with other leaders. This is just as much the case uh, in, the, in the church world, in the spiritual world, as it is in the business world. Uh, competition, and I'm not going to give examples here, I could go on and on of how, how church leaders try to compete, who's got the biggest church, who's, who's driving the best car, You know, who went to the best school, all those kinds of things. If you don't know who you are, and if you don't know you are already seated at the highest seat in the universe, then guess what? All of these things become something to prove and something to perform into for your success and sense of identity. Fourthly, they're driven by a search for significance. Yeah, we all have to have a sense. Jordan Peterson would talk about a sense of responsibility that we as humans were made to carry responsibility. And if we have no sense of responsibility, then we have no dignity. And this is true for all of us. Every one of us were designed not just to live in the Father's love, but in the Father's mission. And the Father's mission has to do with winning a world. And so significance has to do with how well we understand the Father's mission, and come up to uh, be a son to fulfill that for Him. Um, I like to tell the story of when I was with the the Smith Wigglesworth, the current Smith Wigglesworth of uh, the UK. His name David Carr, not the football player, but David Carr in the UK. And I just said, can you give me the silver bullet? One, just give me one thing that you would tell a young, back then I was younger, tell a young pastor. He says, well, the, the, the thing I want you to know is that the, the first priority of every son is to finish the father's unfinished business. The first priority of every son is to finish the father's unfinished business. And then he went on to tell me about how Elisha finished Elijah's unfinished business of Jezebel, how Solomon finished David's unfinished business of building the temple, how Jesus came to finish the father's business. And this is where we find our significance. So orphan leaders don't know that their significance is in the father's mission. Uh, so they're not looking at the father. Uh, they're looking at themselves and, and if people are... Are, are noticing. Number five is they don't know how to emotionally connect. Uh, this is huge. If your mission is people and you can't emotionally connect, guess what? <laughs> it's going to be an uphill climb. Right. And so we talk about connectedness and, attachment, that the said love of God is about deep attachment, and we were wired to be attached to our mothers. as so we come out of the womb, and we're, we're, we're nursing at the breast, and our, our eye focus is only 18 inches away, and we see our mother's face gleaming and shining, and we were designed from the beginning to be deeply attached. And so if we don't get a revelation of our attachment with the Father by the Holy Spirit, not just attachment from the outside, but union within. Then we're going to be living uh, with an emotional disconnect that makes it difficult to really minister to people without strings attached. Number six is they don't know they don't feel good about themselves. Orphan leaders don't feel good about themselves, and they compensate through overacting, over control, over um, either either overdoing it trying to be too much for everybody, uh, or too many controls on everybody, so they'll do it. So they don't feel good about themselves, and we're all trying to feel good, aren't we? So there are many things that we'll do to get the dopamine drips, the kudos, the the attaboys from from people to make us feel good. Number seven, orphan leaders do not know how to treat others outside of a performance productivity grid. If you were raised with parents that always had the productivity grid on you, you had to bring home good report cards and all those things, then it's going to be very hard for you to live any other way until you get a revelation that Jesus is not bringing you a report card every six weeks or every nine nine weeks to, to tell you how you're doing. He's loving you no matter how you're doing. But that comes by revelation. It doesn't come by a book, does it? Then number eight is they do not interpret reality correctly. If, if our lens is skewed, guess what? Everything we see is going to be interpreted through that lens. We talk about that quite a bit. Number nine, people are objectified to obtain their goals. In other words, if, if, if I'm driven to succeed and uh, I've got people around me, am I going to see those people as the mission or am I going to see them as the tools I can use to accomplish my mission? And so too often, orphan leaders, whether they're in the business world, in the church world, uh, will use people uh, to get the work done instead of using the work to get the people done. What we try to advocate comes from Ray S. Anderson in his uh, Fireline of Ministry. What Uh, is it? Ministry on the Fireline? I think it is. Or the Soul of Ministry is the name. Soul of Ministry. Soul of Ministry, Ray S. Anderson says, uh, don't use the people to get the work done. That just becomes a factory, you know, and then you burn people out. Discard them when they're no, no longer useful. No, use the work of ministry to get the people done. In other words, grown in ministry, becoming sons, knowing who we are, understanding that it's the Father that's loving through us. Then, number 12, let me see if I'm on the right place now. 9, 10, 10, they're always looking for approval and recognition, right? We always. Are looking for approval and recognition and the more you get this deep-seated love from the father soaking and saturating in you this is where worship and presence is so important this is where hearing the father's voice for yourself is so critical it's not until you hear the father's voice for yourself that you really get deliverance from the addiction of uh, the praise of men and then number 12 let's say 11 is they struggle to submit with authority spiritual authority Uh, we could talk about that a lot. Number 12 is they have a difficult time with their own family. Uh, This was me. My family was a very closed family growing up. Uh, and so I had a difficult time relating his family. There were things I thought I had to do was my role and somebody else had to do the other role and it became a constant strife contest. We've learned the competition of generosity. When you understand that everything you'll ever need is already yours, available to you in Christ, all things are yours. Then, then we can relax 13. They have difficulty. Orphan leaders have difficulty relating to God as a father. Um, wow, you know, this, the only way that comes, the only way that comes is by hearing the father's voice, uh, hearing his well done and understanding that he's not expecting you to perform for his, his happiness. He's already happy. Amen. 14, uh, difficulty discerning the difference between relationships and connections. I think, did I leave one? No, that's it. This is, this is one that uh, it's, it's wordplay. I think for a lot of, uh, uh, Christian leaders, especially as divine ca- connections, I got connections. Well, connections can open doors, but relationships bring stability. So you need more than connections; you need relationships. I'm lo- I love having Daniel uh, and Christine on from 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 Greece. We have a connection. It started that way, but it built into a relationship. And for the health of leaders, leaders don't just need a bunch of connections where they can go have places to preach. Leaders need relationships. And the relationships then not only give you doors, they give you a floor. They give you foundation. They give you stability in your life. We don't just need connections. We need relationships. And finally, orphan leaders will establish systems of self-preservation. Systems of self-preservation would be ways that I can get away from the people. And you need to understand that, especially if you're a shepherd, a, a pastor, leader, you need to smell like sheep. You're supposed to smell like sheep. You're a shepherd. Shepherds smell like sheep. And, I, and one of the best compliments I ever had in my life was a, a man that came up to me and just gave me a big hug and said, you smell like sheep. I said, thank you very much. And too many of us, we, we want to lead people. We, we don't want any people around. You know, We want to keep distance. And when I was in Bible college, this was 40, 50 years ago, uh, we were taught that way. Uh, we were taught to keep distance from the people. Don't let them get too close or they won't be able to hear the word of the Lord from you, you know? And so that's a funny business. But, uh, what, what I've found is the necessity of us having a relationship with people and knowing and trusting one another and learning to hear the father's voice together. Those are, those are some things that I want to throw out. I know I'm just, it's a fire hydrant. I'm just giving you the basic concepts Hopefully it stirs more concepts. <clears throat> Maybe there's some that I totally missed and you wanna add to that. So uh, you might think about some orphan leaders that we see in scriptures. We try to bring that out in, in some of the books. Uh, and once you see it, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, especially in the Old Testament, of course, they didn't have the spirit of God in them. Uh, they had law and they were trying to perform to, to, to be righteous. Uh, what a mess. Uh, so Jesus comes on the scene and, and really shakes up the whole religious system, doesn't he? We can develop those systems of self-preservation. But do you see orphan leaders that then you can say, Father, is there, is there any of that in me? Uh, is there any of that working in my heart? This is the way I, I read the scriptures. Uh, I'll see a story. I'll see somebody acting some way that's you know beneath what they were supposed to be. And I say, Lord, is there any of that in me? I'm just going to stop now. I can give you four or five questions here, but I want to hear some of you respond. Are there other thoughts or one of these thoughts that piqued your interest that you want to add to or ask questions about? Let's just open up the floor. And once you talk, then close your mic again. And um, then uh, we'll ask the the leaders to, to speak first. And then the rest that are kind of coming into leadership, uh, listen for a little bit and then we can open up for some questions in a little bit. Who's who's up? So
1: let me just say real quick, in case you missed it, I, I put these 15 points in the chat. So if you want to refresh yourself as to what they are, maybe it might trigger some thoughts. Uh, just open the chat. It should be a couple messages from the bottom. Okay. While you guys think about it, I'll, I'll add a little bit, something. I, I'm uh, taking some some business courses as part of an MBA. And it's very interesting to me that even in the business world, there's a whole new movement uh, towards something called conscious capitalism. And some of the tenets of conscious capitalism have to do with really valuing people, valuing all stakeholders, not just the stockholders, uh, doing what's right for your employees, not just the bottom line of profitability. And it was very interesting as I'm studying that, just seeing the correlation between that And this very thing that we're talking about, because what we what we've seen in business, and one of the things, one of the reasons that capitalism gets such a bad name, such a bad rap, is because it is largely run by orphan leaders. Yes. And and what we're seeing in the church, sadly, I think a lot of the church has adopted business models. And if if businesses have been run by orphan leaders, and the church is adopting business models developed in the business world. They've two been plus two is four, under or- orphan <laughs> leadership, right. And so we may not recognize it because we think the church should be different, and yet we're seeing the same kinds of trends. And it's interesting to me to see that the business world seems to be leading in this area, and the church is maybe slowly catching up. So maybe we're doing something good here <laughs> by getting ahead of the business world and say, let's do it the right way and let the church influence the business world, not the other way around.
0: Good. Somebody wave at me if you've got something you want to share.
1: Can we let me let me open the view here so we can see everybody's okay. yeah, there we go. Much better. That's we helpful. can see more people there. Okay.
0: There you go. Daniel, jump in.
2: So I, I benefited from a leader in my life who was just extremely vulnerable um, from the pulpit. And when you sat down for a cup of coffee about their struggle with all 15 of these. Um, and so I pretty much got saved on a street corner and then just had a very vulnerable leader in my life for m- most of my Christian walk. Um, this was someone who grew up in the church, whose dad was well-respected, um, who his dad was well-loved, and his dad unfortunately died early, early in life, and um, And my pastor was a business leader, and it was kind of, I guess, at the end of his late 30s where he got thrust into leading the church, um, really just because someone patted him on the back and said, this is yours, um, and never really felt, um, you know, like he had a handle on his own family uh, enough Mm -hmm. to do so, Um, didn't feel like he had a handle really on like what God called him to do in the business world to provide for his family. Um, And he kind of, you know, I think for so many years was able to grow as a leader with everyone that he was leading um, because he was extremely vulnerable um, and never assumed that he had it all figured out. And so um, I have tremendously gleaned from him um, because I try to be open and honest um, about things that I'm struggling with, you know, like first and foremost with my wife um, and my own kids, you know, uh, I love you know, seeing certain things pop up on my Facebook feed where, you know, kind of there's this consciousness in parenting, um, where, you know, many people are saying you have to apologize to your kids when you get it wrong, um, because they'll respect you for it. And they'll understand that they have to themselves um, redirect and recalibrate by doing the same. And so um, I think with a lot of this, if we're really being honest, you know, like one of my early pastors was in life is that these things are active in us. And if we assume that we are um, greater than them, you know, the scripture that you referenced, Carrie, like in first John, I think it's two fifteen to 17. Um, you know, the, the pride of life, and we assume that we have it all figured out, and we cannot grow. Um, you know, I love the the quote in um, the, the uh, renewing the mind and sonship book where it's like, I'm a son, I may not be experiencing all the realities of that yet. But I can, I can, I can uh, go on a journey to get there. And so, um, you know, with regard to, you know, what my wife and I are doing here, like, you know, we we only gather with six to 12 people on Sundays. It's a small, intimate environment in our home. And, um, you know, I I honestly feel like it's the Super Bowl. You know, I feel like I'm Reinhard Bunkie and and it's only 12 people or sometimes five people. Um, But just learning to honor, I think, where people are at and getting involved in their journey. Um, outside of the Sunday experience, right? Like I think one of these yeah. um, reforming um, thoughts that's in the church right now and a lot of different circles is instead of just inviting folks to a service, why don't you invite them into your life? Um, and I think that'll, that that kind of strips everything away. Um, you know, if I was going to look uh, at number eight, that one kind of sticks out to me. The orphan leaders um, don't interpret reality correctly. Um you know, like I could look at some folks that, you know, we've been walking with for the last year and I could say to myself, and if I'm being honest, I have said to myself is like, man, why is this person making the same mistake again? Like, I thought we went over this. I thought we preached this. I thought like we had coffee about this. Um, And it's like, well, do I really just see them as an end to get their problems corrected so that they can walk on a plane that's going to get like quote-unquote, us somewhere, or do I see them as a person that ABBA is wanting to um, bring up a little bit higher for their own spiritual health and for that person to have experience with them? And so I think, you know, if I'm looking at number eight, I think it's so easy as a leader who has an orphan mindset to look at everything like a, a behavioralist. Like, it's not all about people getting the right behavior correct all the time. It's, it's about a learning process that's holistic
0: yeah yeah before we jump from that too far go back to your pastor leader that was so vulnerable can you put a finger on how he got to that place Um, what was allowed him to be vulnerable like that um I think utter desperation
2: and realizing that he was broken and um Also just desiring to be fathered. And so he sought that out in his own life. And, um, you know, I think God brought him through a renewal um, because, you know, he got maybe some of the fathering that he didn't get because his dad had died early on. And, you know, I I read something recently about like spiritual fathering where like you can be a willing participant and someone else can be um, a willing parent. But it doesn't mean that it works out all the time. And it doesn't mean that it's like a walk that you have with someone for a lifetime. It may just be a season and you want to get the most out of it while you can, um, while maintaining your own spiritual health and expectation. Um, and I think for him, you know, he really sought that out. And for someone that recognized that he needed that, that person, this other pastor, let's say, um, gave that to him. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, there's that quote by, I don't know if it's John F. Kennedy, or I've seen other people that have said it, you know, that like, um, if I get it up here, I had, I had it on my thing is that, you know, victory has a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, Abba gave us the gift of Jesus. He wrapped it around the flesh of Jesus. Um, you know, we just, we need to touch people and kiss people and cry with them. And, you know, um, we need that, you know, that gift of quality time. And so I would say my pastor beat that by a sheer desperation for transformation um, that yeah. came out of a revelation of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And he knew that he needed a father. And so he went, you know, in not that he went looking for one, but within his sphere of influence, you know, he, let's say, nestled up to someone that was older than him and, you know, let it be known, like, I, I, I need some fathering. And I think that's what happened for him.
1: Can I ask, uh, I wanted to ask a question because you mentioned something too, Daniel, about the pressure of feeling like we have to have it all together. And I was just like, ask specifically to the pastors that are on the call, those, if you've been in pastoral ministry or something, have you ever felt the pressure (laughs) that the people's expectation of you is that you're supposed to have it all together?
0: Oh no, I've never (laughs) felt that at all.
1: (laughs) And. So, and where does that come from? I mean, I remember in my MDiv days, like that was a common thread. It's like you can't be, you feel like you can't be vulnerable because people expect you to have it all together. But we've brought that on ourselves, haven't we? So, I I would love to hear from some of you who have experience in, in pastoral ministry. Like, how do you understand that? How have we, how have we, because if I think if we could figure out how we brought that on ourselves, maybe we can figure out how to keep it from happening. (laughs) Because it is one of the roots of acting like an orphan leader is this idea that we have to be all things to all people.
0: Yeah. If it's a performance-based system, then the leader's got to perform. Dave, good to have you on, bro. You've been in the ministry for a little while. Do you have anything you want to add to that? And then Andres uh, on the screen. Andres is one of the most vulnerable men that I know. Um, after Dave gets through, I'm just calling out some folks. Sorry about that. Maybe Andres, you'd share something that has to do with the vulnerability. Dave, you have anything you want to share on this thought?
3: It's interesting before Cheeky talked about vulnerability, I really feel like number 16 is for me is, uh, being a fake, being a fraud, putting up the, um, picture of being a biblically sound leader but underneath knowing that there's almost a i mean i've confessed just recently uh, i don't want to be a fraud you know just crying out to god um to the father and uh yeah this thing of authenticity uh definitely is part of the orphan mindset and it's big
0: and it's more than wearing holes in your jeans right Authenticity is deeper than your clothes, <laughs> Andres. Uh, I, I admire this man. He's a friend of mine for his vulnerability and his authenticity. You want to share something, Andres? On this.
4: Hi everyone. I, I was I missed the last uh, week, month, but I, I was I was listening to the to the to the video on YouTube, and I was thinking about. At these, I think about uh, vulnerability and stuff like that. But I, I think that in my case, it's because in, and I think that that happens when, when Chiqui Paul, uh, told us that, that the churches have been adopted, the, the organization's model, structure. And I think that, that the church is, is not an organization, it's a live organism, And that's quite the difference that we have to, like, to to have in mind. Why? Because mm-hmm. in my case specifically, uh, in Colombia, you know that most of all, we were raised in the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church has this uh, orphan spirit so deep inside. So in, it's a really deep root in, in all of the... Imagine that the people has about what the church is and what the priest must be. Is kind of a perfection model, like a role model for the community. Is is is, and I think that is a mix with that idea of the um, uh, the witch of the of the tribe. That she's the one who's got all of the answers and everything oh, that okay. he's saying is perfect and is right and is you know like like this monkey, in the Lion King movie, that Rafiki. That he's perfect. Everything that he does. does, does Purpose. So I think that that happens with the idea that the people have in their mind about the church and about the priest. So it's not easy. For that reason, it's not easy to be vulnerable and to be open with all the people. But I think, and, that, and I found that when you are vulnerable with all of the church, it's powerful. And you empower the church to be, to get rid of that orphan spirit. When you are when you can show them your need of God, of, of the Father.
0: Yeah, that's so good. If we create a monster, we have to feed the monster. And Andres said, I don't know if you picked up on all of it, There's a little bit breaking up there, but he said one of the keys is that the church is not an organization. The church must be seen first as an organism. Uh, and then the vulnerability comes when the leader is able to be vulnerable, give everybody else permission to be vulnerable. Hope I didn't put too much of that in your mouth, but that really is the key. As the leader goes, so go the people to the degree that we're vulnerable. Even in triads, you know, I try to coach facilitators, uh, especially when you get to those questions that say, talk about the other members of the triad, what you see God doing in them. And unless we're vulnerable to tell our stories first, then there's going to be a low ceiling on how far people will go. Somebody else, what's stirring in you? about uh, this idea? What did you see of the orphan concept?
1: Go ahead, Hilary.
5: So I, I understand like always looking for, I would find someone that had a voice that I, I loved, like the message that I was looking for and I would look to be parented and would find rejection. So I think that's like been super helpful to me to just understand, like that's what people find when they get saved. You know, find that in the people want your gifts in the world. But when you get saved, they don't, no, they don't, they want to control. Everyone's waiting for that hand to go on you to say, I sanction you. I, 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 I trust you. I publicly announce you. And that's, that's just not the way Ephesians you know, says it's it's supposed to be that not that many are given for the edifying of the one, but each one is given for the building up of the many. So God gave me this like this inverted pyramid where it's a series of frameworks to build people up from from consciousness up through commitment and whatnot into, into just growing capacity and community and competency. So I was showing Um, one of my co-business coaches and she said why is that pyramid inverted and I said tell me why you're asking me that and she said people are attracted to a pyramid and I said I said why is that and she said because everyone is down at the bottom and the more you ascend the more you grow the more elite you become and I said see what god has shown me is when you start your world is so small it's centered on yourself and you're not really impacting many people yeah. and the more you grow in in him the more the more people you impact the greater your sphere of influence until you're the servant of all so i love what you're talking about because it's um And people say it's the upside down kingdom. But I think what we learn here is it's not the upside down kingdom. We're the upside down kingdom. And the Lord is reorienting, recalibrating us to correct. So I just, I I love this conversation. And I think the the only way you have, I I know there's AI, artificial intelligence. And I, I keep saying we have AAI almighty authentic intelligence and that's what gives us that's what gives us the distinction and it doesn't mean we can't use it but it just means that what we carry is what people are really hungry for so i i thank you for this conversation i don't anything you can add to what i'm
1: seeing or saying i'd love that
0: the people is the mission right
1: i love that picture of the inverted pyramid explained that way that is that's brilliant
0: under More the people <laughs> lifting up, lifting up. That's what yeah. submission really means. It's lifting up so that the other can get out and then help you out. Somebody else
1: I had a thought here. I think yep. this is Sylvia. Maybe it says the orphan spirit in leadership does not give you permission to feel for that reason. You block yourself to be real. Right. So it's almost like, because you have this pressure of having to have it all together, uh, you have to discount, you have to learn to discount your emotions hmm. Um, and, Siva, if I'm putting words in your mouth, feel free to open up your mic and clarify it for <laughs> for us because I think it's a good thought.
0: Right. But it does shut down the, the authenticity, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else?
1: Julie, I'd love to hear from Julie. Julie. Huh? And I'll put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> DC, come in. Yeah,
1: it's actually
6: the one that was um, probably resonated the most with me comes exactly from what you were saying about the emotional maturity, emotional awareness. Uh, I think it's Peter, I always say his name wrong at the end, but his last name is Cazero, so, Mostly Healthy Spirituality. And he um, talks about how uh, we are only spiritually mature to the degree that we are emotionally mature. And that really set me free because I've been pretty much in touch with my emotions. But unfortunately, in many situations, that was the thing I was uh, i was called weak, actually, because mm-hmm. I could express that. And so to have this awareness now, really just allowed me to be real and authentic, vulnerable, open, honest, and transparent, and no need to impress anyone else. It's just me and the Lord. This is my experience Here's, like you said, Dr. Carey, this is the gift of vulnerability I give myself. But I'm not concerned now whether you are impressed about me or not, you know, if I um, if I am elevated in your eyes or diminished in your eyes, because this is just where I am in my experience. And so yeah. extremely grateful uh, to so, know that even back then I had a sonship awareness that I didn't even realize. So <laughs>
0: you do carry it and you carry it well, unless we know the Thank father you. is pleased with us because of who we are, not what we do we're going to be addicted to performance. We're going to be addicted to people-pleasing unless we know the Father says this is my beloved Son before we ever preach our first sermon, right? So we have to be sons first. Anybody else? This is great. Love the input. Anybody come up with another? uh, Dave gave us number 16. Anybody got a number 17? Nathan? Uh,
7: Yeah, I actually got a couple, and this is um, what's what where i got these from is probably more me than leaders i've had but um number the next one i got was they do not connect with peers they feel threatened by there's Mm -hmm. there's there is like strength in numbers and when when a when a peer leader is is having the results that i'm striving for you know we we can be tend to be threatened by them and it just feels that insecurity and and rather than having that person close you know the proximity principle learning from them we we keep them at arm's length and we even start to we'll we'll criticize their methods and and even their motives we'll start say, well they're just you know and we'll assign you know malevolent intent you know and uh just disconnect and further isolate ourselves and uh yeah. or their selves um, another one, the, the, another one I had that I, I really kind of talk about, and I think it kind of answers the question, why do we have to feel like put together and that they tend to, uh, expose the fault in others, especially those they lead in order to conceal the same faults within themselves. Oof. And for a long time, when I used to, when I would preach or teach, I would harp in on one specific, you know, topic that I was personally struggling with, not as a means of vulnerability, but. It's almost like I rationalized in the orphan mind that if I can convince enough people to stay away from what I can't, God will overlook wow. my failure. Wow. And so that, that, was, that was something that was huge, and, and the mm-hmm. Lord freed me from for sure. And so I hope that adds to the conversation. Yeah, that's <laughs>
0: excellent. You know, the thing that we hate in ourselves, we will hate in others when we see it there. Um, the Bible calls it judgment. You know, we, we judge others for the thing we're guilty of, and then we bind that thing to ourselves and can't get away from it. I I love the idea that was presented earlier. Um, I think Daniel talked about, um, this idea of letting everyone be on their own journey. When you really understand how the father loves each one of us completely and uniquely, then, then we can, we can let other people be at a different place in their journey. We can let pe- people have a different uh, whole mindset, doctrine, and everything else. We don't have to be correcting them. And uh, the way you know somebody is not deeply convicted of what they believe, that is, they're not really sure of it, is they yell the loudest when it comes to an argument. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> the ones that have the least deep conviction and depth and foundation are the ones that have to scream the loudest to not only convince others, but to convince themselves.
1: That's so amazing how Jesus always answered questions with questions, just chill about mm. it like you're trying mm. to trick me it's not, it's not gonna work <laughs> I just added two more on the chat uh, from from Michael and Hillary Moniz that are great orphan leaders can't afford to celebrate or promote others uh. and orphan leaders always need to blame so I think those yeah. are all related is this mm. this idea of the the competition you can't connect with peers they very feel very threatened right and that that shows up in so many different ways
0: I've been guilty of all of those <laughs> Uh, I'll just say I can just write about my weaknesses and it'll come out as a really good book <laughs> all the things you should avoid anybody else this is this is great we're we're honing in on about 10 minutes and and uh just want to touch on what you're interested in hearing about let me just ask you this kind of general question is this a topic that is interesting to you that you want to talk to the Lord more about that you need to hear about or do you feel like it's kind of common sense? Okay, I think that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're
1: raising their hand. They're yeah. all muted, so it's hard to tell. Let's go to Paul. Paul had a, Paul wanted to say something yeah. and then we'll go to Nathan.
3: Right. I, I kind of feel like it was one of those things where uh, early on when I came to the Lord, the preacher always wore a suit and tie and it kind of came up as uh, never trust someone that's always wearing a suit it's not to say that they're always wearing a suit but they always have it together all together and um i it was was something that prevented me from coming to the lord for a while because i couldn't be that and uh you know and i also had the impression that everyone was a cookie cutter christian and And I couldn't speak the way they did. I couldn't act the way they did. I didn't have the language that they did. And so to come to the place where once I was baptized into Christ, he said, you get to be you. And I was like, I can do that. (laughs) It's just that kind of uh, place. Yeah, I was like, wow, you mean you didn't want me to do that? But I think it also is they always have to seem like they have the right answer, not let me check into that. I don't have an answer for that, you know? And I, and I think that that's when we uh, try to have all the answers, Uh, I heard someone say, uh, I have all the answers to all the questions. um, And, and the older I get, I have more questions about my answers than than I have (laughs) answers to the questions.
0: (laughs) I've seen that on a church sign. In fact, (laughs) ask any question, we've got the answer. Mm-hmm. Woo. What I, one, of the, one of the greatest things that I ever learned as a, as a pastor was just, I don't know. I don't say it enough, but I tell you what, there's freedom in just saying, somebody always wants to know, what's the will of God for my life? you know I don't know. I don't have that answer. What does the Father say about it? Man, if we can turn people back to the Father, open the conversation up with the Father, what's the Father saying to you about that? That's the best acceleration for growth in sonship. Nathan, you had your, something else you wanted to share?
7: Yeah, when you, when you said, is, is this a topic interested in? And I think, I think absolutely for me, especially because I'm starting to see that orphan mindset kind of in leadership has makes certain, like makes sin justifiable, almost. It makes favoritism wisdom. It makes mm-hmm. manipulation, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a means Strategy. like a positive growth you know, strategy. And so it's like all these things that we're told not to do and be the orphan mindset, like, well, these are things that are going to help me accomplish the main goal. So again, like favoritism and exploitation, there's people that, you know, become expendable and there's people that become, you know, those are the ones I need because they can contribute to the success. And if you can't contribute to the success, then, you know, again, it becomes about the work. And so, yeah, I've been thinking about this topic since you announced it, you know, last month. And there's just a lot of little areas I've seen in in ministry in my own life and my leaders where, you know, certain abuses even become justifiable. They're like, like the God, God told me it is, it's, it's, you know, your will, Nathan to, to move on somewhere else. Well, he didn't tell me, you know, and it's like, there's this, in my sense, kingdom mindedness, they, they don't know how to be a spiritual parent. Like that was huge. That just, because I feel like if I was a, a lead pastor and I had staff under me and God told me like, you know, it is James's, I have Jay, call of James on his life is to go and do X. Well, then me as a father, you know, a spiritual father over him, like, what do I need to do to see him through? What do I need to give him to make sure it happened? Like i become like, I take on responsibility to help see it happen. You know, I just feel like that's the father's heart rather than, you know, when I ask, okay, so where am I going? Well, I don't know. So, you know, it's just like there's, anyway, abuse becomes justifiable.
0: Right. And the way we keep from falling into the other ditch of um, shepherding control when you talk about feeling responsible for people under you is to keep turning them back to the father's voice. Uh, as Hillary said, everybody has got to be able to hear the Father's voice for themselves. We're all um, individual parts of the body. So uh, rather than me telling you what to do, it's showing you how to connect to the Father so that you can walk in the conviction of the Father's own voice and will. Yeah, I don't want to be telling people what to do because if, if, it goes, if it goes sideways, guess who they're going to be angry with? You know, you, you prophesied over me so and so well. Uh, okay, if the Father tells you, then even when it goes sideways, you have a confidence that you are in the will of God.
1: Can I just add something more, uh, Michael and Hillary just uh, wrote here too. Also, victimhood is also an excuse to sin. And I think that's something that we had talked about earlier mm-hmm. that we don't bring up very often is that the orphan spirit can look like two very opposite ends. On one side, it looks like the drivenness, performance-based kind of thing. And we tend to see that spot that very easily. But the orphan spirit can also go to the other side of, woe is me, I'm the victim, I'm nobody, I'm lowly, you know, this kind of really false humility idea that can also end up being manipulative. It just looks very different.
0: Yeah, yeah orphan spirit works through two basic roots, spirit of pride, spirit of rejection. Spirit of pride means I'm going to kick you out of the way and I'm going to the top. Uh, spirit of rejection says you can just step on me all you want to because I'm not worth very much. Both of those are orphan orphan hearts. So uh, we just know that the Father knows where we are and what we need. Isn't that amazing? He knows exactly what I need today. Give me this day my daily bread, the bread of your word, the bread of your life. Um, any, anybody else? we have one question here that I want
1: to so William asks, William, I'm just gonna ask it William on your behalf McPherson. and then we'll open it to whoever wants to address it for William. How do we be vulnerable and stay in faith over what we see in our lives or others? So that is a that is a good question because it's not an I don't think it's an easy balance. It's one on one thing we can be vulnerable and use vulnerability sort of like I, I if I overcome this then I stop being vulnerable. Um, but so we want to overcome weaknesses and be vulnerable at the same time. How do we balance that out?
0: Ask the question again. The
1: so question, the way William wrote it: How do we be vulnerable and stay in faith over what we see in our lives or others?
0: So I think
2: part of faith is actually being vulnerable, because um, you can do the name it and claim it thing. Um, I know I did for so many years. Um, it just didn't work too good, um, you know, but. I think there's that one verse where Jesus talks about, like, you know, agree with the accuser quick. I could get the reference for you, but it's sort of say, okay, this is not like, this might be true. Like, you know, my friend used to say, um, this might be true, but it's not the truth. Um, And so I think we actually find the truth by being truthful with where we are at in process so that we can get the Holy Spirit to bring us there, Um, you know. It's kind of like, William, it's it's kind of like when you're lost and you have the GPS and it says recalculating. Um, it'd be like, we do have a destination and our destination is Christ, but Christ is also with us in the car um, to help us get there to look like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a now and not yet kingdom, isn't it? We we have it now. We're living and moving into it. So we can be vulnerable. That doesn't mean we're tied to the past. I have seen people testify of their past so much that they reconnected with it. Uh, That's not good. If you're always talking about what you came out of, you're gonna likely wanna go back sometime when the pressure gets strong enough. So that's where the revelation of who we are is the foundation for even our vulnerability, our authenticities, we're sharing our story. This is what I did and this is what happened to me, but that doesn't mean that's who I am. Uh, it's the revelation to application that brings transformation.
1: We have a couple of minutes. We have two raised hands. Do we have like, yeah. one minute each? <laughs> okay. Uh, 60 seconds. Who's says raised their hand first? So let's go there.
0: Sixty seconds.
1: Yeah, I love this
5: this topic and question because faith works by love. And so if what we're walking through requires that we operate in patience that's the first characteristic of love, right? As, as long as my agenda or I'm, you know, someone's met the end of what my availability, now I'm ahead of them. I can't even satisfy the other characteristics of love. And so what I think this does, because we're all in these circumstances that you're talking about, is to recognize I see that in me. I see that offense in me. I see that bitterness in me. I see that jealousy in me. I see that anger in me. And just to bring it to the father, to walk into heart healing, to walk into accountability, to to make, to become more vulnerable and recognize our susceptibilities rather than to point a finger and then to walk in that place of love in intercession. So that's what I'm thinking. It starts with love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Father, I see that in me. Now, what do you want to say to me about that? Too often, I think even when we, the father shows us something, we immediately come up with the plan to fix it. Uh, wrong. <laughs> Just let him speak into it. Let him do it. What What do you want to say to me about that? Who, who else? And Thank you, Hillary. Hillary Andres Hillary from Bogota.
4: Thinking about the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the throne in the flesh, I think that that's one of the most vulnerable moments in Paul's life. But also, when he said that they were uh, trying to go to this place, I don't remember where. Uh, and said but the, the Holy Spirit uh, like, uh, was in the middle, uh, and to give, the, it didn't allow us to get to that place. I think that, that when you are able to say that to the people, that I was thinking to go to this place, but the Holy Spirit said, no, that means that I was wrong. That yes. means that I was, that's vulnerable. And yes. the only yeah. idea that I have and that's, is uh, the, the orphan spirit in leadership that may be addictive, so addictive because you think that you have the control of it and that thing keeps you away from community to community community with god community so, that's,
1: so so yeah so just it, it's great your audio unfortunately breaks up quite a bit but Andres was talking about the Apostle Paul and how he, one, dealing with a thorn in the flesh and being willing to receive God's grace at the point of weakness. Also, when he was trying to go to uh, some region and the Holy Spirit kept him from doing it. And if you can share with people how uh, this, is, this was my plan, but Holy Spirit is correcting me. Yeah. That's very vulnerable as well. And that shows people that, you know, like, like how you live this out that you can't just make your plans and go forth with them, but being willing to hear from Holy Spirit?
0: I think we need a revelation in the weakness of God as well as the almighty strength of God. You know, God is so secure in who he is, in his, in his overflowing love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't mind looking weak, and he doesn't mind even letting us look weak at times. We're, we're so pumped up about being strong and overcoming in everything, and He does bring us to that. But quite often, it's through the vein of weakness that He shows His glory. We run from weakness. Uh, Jesus ran to it, and the cross was the epitome of all of that, showing us all that it's through His weakness that grace flows through our lives. Thank you so much for uh, man, such rich stuff. We're gonna we're gonna be. Uh, sending some of these comments back out to you. I just want to close with these questions and the questions we'll upload as well. Uh, And I would just ask if you would think about these. Think a little bit about it, and let's see if we want to spend a little more time on this. First question is, who are some orphan leaders that you see in scriptures? What can we learn from them? How did Jesus model freedom from self-protection, self-preservation, and self-promotion? especially through the wilderness temptation. How does Mephibosheth provide a model for orphan leaders to come to sonship? you know he was just being born as a son of the son of the king. He had a call on his life in their culture and their view. What are some of the impacts of orphan leadership upon the people those leaders serve? So we think about the impacts on on the orphan leader, but What's the impact on those that have to sit under that leadership? Um, and then we could ask the question, what would you recommend for people who find themselves serving under uh, an orphan leader who has yet to step into a revelation of sonship? Somebody comes to you and says, man, I'm under this guy, and he's just manipulation in this and the other." What do we say? Uh, we can't force someone into sonship, right, into an understanding of that. Uh, What do we say to people who are sitting under or having to serve under uh, folks that have not yet walked into that? And then what other questions does this stir in you that you would like to talk about? Really serious about this, I would love for you to just send me any questions you have that we could bring to the table again next month and talk about it. I really want this to be a roundtable forum where we're gleaning from one another and then bringing others to the table.
1: So we'll send these questions out as an email and that they mm-hmm. can respond to that one with additional questions or thoughts. Yeah.
0: Okay. Can I bless you? I just want to pray for you. Thank you for being uh, with us together. Um, it's it's not face-to-face, but it's, it's the next best thing for us to have people from such diverse places. Father, you're so good, we love you. We just say, Daddy, Papa, we live in your love. Your love is our resting place. Your love is the couch that we fall on when we're tired, and when we need your comfort, your strength. We thank you for your voice that you're speaking to us. And I pray, Lord, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, would flood every heart represented here, that every ear would be open to hear the Father's voice, And that, Lord, we would live in that, not just taking it as a piece of information, but opening up the invitation to a conversation, an ongoing conversation of what you're saying about us, what you've planned for us, what you're doing with us. We thank you for it. I speak health and peace and blessing, the grace of God to abound upon every one of us and our families, everywhere they are, in Jesus' name. And everybody's said, Amen. Amen. Well, we'd go out with a song if I had one, but I don't have one. So so love you very much. Don't forget, you have our email. Feel free to email any questions, thoughts, corrections, anything that you want. We want to stay connected. Love you. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks for all your input.